What's up, 10 a.m.? How we doing this morning? Man, you can feel some momentum in this place. Some of that's because baptism is next week. Over 60 people already saying, I'm gonna come in front of this church and I'm gonna put the world on notice that I have founded my life on Jesus and I want everybody to know it. I am bringing the kingdom here. I'm gonna build the kingdom with my life. So much momentum in this room. Also from last week, Deb from Denver was here last week. Preached for the very first time and crushed it. So I'm a little intimidated following Deb. Tough to follow. But I wanna springboard from a story that she was talking about in her message into our message today. A story of a man at a pool. Perfect for summer weather. The story is, if you don't know, if you're not familiar with the man at the pool of Bethesda, this man was laying by a pool for 38 years. And the superstition around this pool was that when the water stirred, whoever got into that water first would be healed. And for 38 years, this man was not able to make it to that water. This water that he thought was the place where his healing would be. And then one day, Jesus showed up and it changed everything. And I wanna show you a depiction of this beautiful scene. Some of you already know where I'm going. I love this show called The Chosen and they depict this so beautifully. And so take a seat and enjoy this. Shalom. Me. Yes. Shalom. I have a question for you. For me. I don't have many answers, but I'm listening. Do you want to be healed? Who are you? We'll get to that later. But my question remains. Will you take me to the water? <laughs> Look, I'm having a really bad day. You've been having a bad day for a long time. So? Sir, I have no one to help me into the water when it's stirred up. And when I do get close, the others step down in front of me. And so, Look at me. Look at me. That's not what I asked. I'm not asking you about who's helping you, or who's not helping, or who's getting in your way. I'm asking about you. <laughs> I tried. For a long time, I know. And you don't want false hope again, I understand. But this pool, it has nothing for you. It means nothing. And you know it. But you're still here. Why? 
I don't know. You don't need this pool. You only need me. So, do you want to be healed? So let's go. Get up, pick up your mat, and walk. to walk, like he said. Don't forget your bed. Why does this matter? Because you're not coming back here. That life is over. Everything changes now. Oh, I love that. Such a beautiful depiction. There's so many sermons that can come from that story, which is why we talk about it from time to time here. And I love uh, so many things about it, but specifically Jesus looking at this man so personally and saying, I'm asking about you. And he asks him, do you wanna be healed? And the bigger question that I draw from this that I think that he comes and asks all of us in our lives is what do you want? What do you really want? So that's the question I wanna ask today. That's the title of this message. So turn to somebody next to you and ask them, what do you want? And also scoot in a little bit to make room for a couple people that need seats while you're doing that. <laughs> Trying to figure out how to work that into this. <laughs> Thanks. There's some seats up here in the front. I don't spit as much as Doug, so come on up. What do you want? Jesus asked this man, do you want to be healed? And it seems like a rhetorical question. Like, well, I've been laying here for 38 years, Jesus. What do you think? But the bigger question that Jesus is asking is, do you want my glory to come into your life? Do you want the glory of God in your life? Do you wanna see the things of heaven? To answer yes to that is a dangerous answer. It's a goodbye to safe and comfortable. When you say yes to the kingdom of God, it's not a no-brainer and a lot of people have said no to Jesus' invitation. What do you want? Here's what I believe. This world does not need more people who want the things of this world. This world needs the followers of Jesus to want the things of heaven. This world needs followers of Jesus who want the things of heaven. And as I've been thinking about what do I really want in life, maybe taking inventory of my prayers I've prayed and the things that I've wanted through the course of my life, I, I, I trace back, I don't know what I prayed for in childhood, probably just like thank you for this food, as a teenager, the one thing I prayed for, the one thing I really, really wanted was to be taller. 
I was a late bloomer, the latest of bloomers, still hoping one day I will bloom. <laughs> and I looked like a child who snuck into high school, truly. So I'd be at church with my family. Everyone else seemed so connected with God and spiritual, and they'd be worshiping, and I just didn't feel like I connected with him. So I would just sit in my chair and just pray, God, can I please wake up taller than five feet tomorrow? Can I please be taller? It's the only thing I really wanted, probably because if I were to find a second thing I wanted, it likely would have been a girlfriend. And it was kind of like, all these girls in my classes look like they should babysit me. <laughs> Help me out here, God. I've got pretty good grades. Like, how do we make this work? So that's what I wanted. Spent a portion of my life not really in relationship with God, not really praying at all for anything. And then when my faith started to take shape in college, I think I just started to want the normal things and bring God into that. I wanna do well in school. I wanna graduate and get a good job. I wanna make money, be successful. Still would love that girlfriend to come along. Normal things to ask for. Not bad things, not awful. But when I look back on most of my life, what I have really, really wanted, I feel like if I was God, I would be extremely underwhelmed with the desires of my heart. Like, yeah, you're gonna hit puberty, but I have the things of heaven available to you right here, right now in this moment. And I'll just say for me, maybe this is you as human beings, the things that we really want, that we tend to want, are short-sighted, self-centered, and fleeting. I know that's true for me. And as I've been on this journey of what have I really wanted in my life, I was trying to think, what is the stupidest thing I've ever wanted? And I landed on fourth grade. What I wanted more than anything else in the world was a Sibico. And I'm sure you all can remember getting your first Sibico when you open the box and that smell, holding it in your hand and turning the screen on. You, you don't remember that? No? Yeah. I'd be utterly shocked if anyone in this church knows what a Sibico is. <laughs> you know? That's what I'm talking about. So... My buddies Cameron and Parker in fourth grade told me about the Sibico. They were getting them, so I wanted it. I wanted it bad. Let me show you a picture of the Sibico, since only two of us in the room know what I'm talking about. This was essentially a very early poor attempt at a smartphone, the year 2000. And so I wanted this more than anything else. I put it on my Christmas list. And I was fortunate to grow up in a family where we got presents at Christmas and my dad specifically likes to go big with gifts. And so I knew like, dad's gonna find a Sibico for me. But then I found out that Cameron and Parker were planning a sleepover where all the guys with Sibicos were gonna show up. So I wanted to have my Sibico early. I needed it before Christmas. My dad has a background in sales. So if ever you wanted to bring an idea to dad, you had to have a good sales pitch. So I wrote a letter to my parents explaining why I felt like I should get to have my Sibico early. And it worked, thank you. I got it, I did get it. And I open it up and I'm like, turn it on. It's like, there's 400 some games on this thing on a little calculator screen. I'm like, this is so cool. The social opportunity of this thing, it said something like, see a cute girl at the mall, send her a message on your Sibico. I'm like, that's how I'm gonna get a girlfriend, except not realizing that she would also have to have a Sibico, and you had to be within 300 feet of another Sibico to receive a message and somehow find which one was hers in the mall. 
not at that time realizing the bigger issue that most girls at the mall didn't have Sibicos. They were cooler than me and Cameron and Parker. <laughs> so I didn't know about all that. I just had a Sibico, and I was excited. I had what I wanted. I went to the infamous Sibico sleepover of 2000. Cameron and Parker and I were there in Cameron's basement. We fired those babies up, and it was like, all right, well, let's send each other some messages. We're in the same room, but this is so cool. But we could send cuss words, which was fun. And Cameron's parents couldn't hear us, so. Then we're like, well, there's so many games. Let's just start playing these games, but quickly realized we couldn't all play at, on the same game at the same time. So it was kind of like, well, this isn't as fun. And then we remembered that Cameron had a Nintendo 64 with Mario Kart and Goldeneye, and we were like, wow, these are fun, but let's take a Sipico break because you can play the N64 on a big TV and we can all play at the same time. And that was the last time I ever used my Sipico. <laughs> Pretty much the first and last time. I guess I hadn't learned from my Furby. <laughs> Who had a Furby in here, huh? Yeah, okay. Not as cool as a Sipico. I wanted a Furby really bad until I woke up in the middle of the night and my Furby was talking it's like a scene out of a terror, terrifying, scary movie. So I didn't want that Furby anymore. Best sales pitch of my life, though. I told my dad, this Furby's gonna be worth a lot someday, like Beanie Babies. So I'll sell it to you at market value. And then, because I need the money now, probably to buy some other stupid thing. You can sell it someday for a lot of money. And my awesome dad paid for that Furby for the second time. <laughs> And the, the, the Sibico became, has become a running joke in my family. Christmas showed up and my brother was opening presents and it was like, Ethan, do you wanna go get your Sibico from upstairs? I'm like, I don't even know where it is. <laughs> should we uh, call you or should we message you on your Sibico? What's the best way to reach you? Sitting there on Christmas, like, why did I not ask for a Nintendo 64? So let me make a spiritual transition here for you. I look back on so much of my life, so many things that I have wanted so badly, and metaphorically, I feel like I've settled for wanting Sibicos when the things of heaven are available to me. There's a story of a man named Solomon in the Bible, and I'll give you a little context before I read this. Solomon in this moment is, is the king of Israel. He's become the king. He's filling the big shoes of his father David, who was the great king. And he's gonna be the one where he's gonna build the temple and the presence of God is gonna reside among his people permanently. It's sort of the brief golden age for Israel, Israel where things kind of go well. And Solomon's stepping into becoming king and he has this beautiful moment with God. We'll read from 1 Kings chapter three, starting in verse five. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon during the night in a dream. And God said, ask for whatever you want me to give you. What do you want, Solomon. Solomon answered, you have shown great kindness to your servant, my father David, because he was faithful to you and righteous and upright in heart. You have continued this great kindness to him and have given him a son to sit on this throne this very day. Now, Lord, my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father David, but I am only a little child and I do not know how to carry out my duties. Your servant is here among the people you have chosen, a great people, too numerous to count or number. Here's what he wants. So give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong. For who is able to govern this great people of yours? The Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for this. So God said to him, 
Since you have asked for this and not for a long life, for wealth for yourself, nor have you asked for the death of your enemies, but for discernment and administering justice, I will do what you have asked. I will give you a wise and discerning heart so that there will never have been anyone like you, nor will there ever be. Moreover, I will give you what you have not asked for, both wealth and honor, so that in your lifetime you will have no equal among kings. And if you walk in obedience to me and keep my decrees and commands as David your father did, I will give you a long life. And Solomon awoke and he realized it had been a dream. So God speaks so profoundly in this beautiful dream to Solomon and he points out Solomon could have asked for a lot of things. Power, wealth, things for himself, the death of his enemies. Like me, he could have asked to be taller. But Solomon was doing pretty well in the looks department based on scripture, so I think he was fine. Which is why he didn't need to ask God for a girlfriend because he had a couple of those. This is ancient times, so the Sibico hadn't been invented yet. So I don't know if it had, if that's what Solomon would have asked for, but I find that unlikely. He asked for wisdom, something that money can't buy, something that only comes from God. He asked for the things of heaven. And it tells us that God was pleased with his answer. And I don't know what would happen if he asked for something else, something temporary, something worldly, but what I do know is that God shows how pleased he is when we ask for the things of heaven. He's going, okay, I can work with this. And this story can read transactional. You might read this and be like, well, this seems like a great prayer strategy. Yes, God, I only just, all I desire is wisdom so that he'll give you all the wealth and all the things that you really, really want. God's not an ATM. He searches our hearts. And in this story, he's saying, Solomon, I see your heart and it's for my kingdom, not yours. Your heart is for my glory, not yours. And if you read that and you think, well, I like that strategy because I want all the things of this world and I'd trade them for whatever God can give me. Here's what Solomon cautions us towards the end of his life in Ecclesiastes. As a guy who also got everything that we as human beings think that we want. He says, I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. This guy's like, I had it all and did it all. My heart took delight in all my labor and this was the reward for all my toil. Yet, when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless. Famous line. A chasing after the wind, nothing was gained under the sun. Solomon, very wise, kind of depressing in his old age. But I think that's the case, or at least it sounds that way, because Solomon is a man who had everything that everyone around him thinks that they want, and he goes, didn't mean anything. All I have to stand on is this, these moments I've had with God, the things of heaven that he's given me, all these other things that he's watching all these people strive for and want and want and want, and he goes, the end of all this, it's, it's meaningless. I had a moment like this in my life about 10 years ago, not comparing myself to Solomon, we don't have a ton in common, but Doug and Ryan and I, we referenced a year where we traveled a lot because it was kind of the transformative year of our lives where we went from saying, hey, what if we just put down the things of this world and all the things we think we want and we go try a life of seeking just what God has for us. So we were traveling and learning from amazing people and about halfway through, 
I, I had just recently read the story of Solomon and I was sitting and I felt like God nudged me with this question. What do you want? What do you want? You're at this crossroads in your life. You're trying to figure out where you're gonna go from here. What do you want? And in this moment, there's a lot of valid things I could have asked for. I didn't have pretty much any money in my bank account. I didn't know what my career was gonna look like. I still didn't have that girlfriend. Normal, fine things to ask for, but I keep bringing those specific things up because it is so easy for the desire for a spouse to overtake our desire for Jesus. It is so easy for our desire for success to overtake our want for God to use our gifts to build his kingdom. It is so easy for the earthly riches of this world to be what we desire and want more than the riches of heaven. And I had seen that play out in my life and not work having some of those things. I watched it in other people and then I was around people who seem to have nothing but have the things of heaven and I just thought, I want some stuff like that. And so my unique answer that I answered back to God was, God, give me the humility and courage to build your kingdom. Two things that I do not naturally possess. I have those words tattooed on my arm right here. To always remind myself the decision that I wanna make to seek the, kings, the things of heaven when I am so prone in my humanity to always just want the things of this world. To keep seeking to want those things. And I tell you that little personal part, not to sound super noble, like look at me and Solomon, we answered right. I tell you that because it changed the trajectory of my life in a beautiful way. And I also tell you that because it has cost me. Deciding to seek the things of heaven will cost you. It will cost you comfort, and it has. It will cost you logic at times, and it has. It will cost you autonomy. You want the glory of God in and through your life, you want the things of heaven, then you've gotta step aside and let him lead. That is not easy to do as a human being, a prideful one if you're like me. It may cost you influence, it may cost you respect, it may cost you popularity, it may cost you relationships. Choosing to seek the things of heaven is not for those that want easy and safe and comfortable. And Jesus was really clear about that. Luke chapter 14, verse 27, Jesus says, whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. He's looking at a group that says, we're in this. We want this kingdom life. And he goes, okay, then you need to be ready to pick up a cross and enter into a new life of surrender and sacrifice. Verse 33, he says, in the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. You have to be willing to forfeit the world for the kingdom of heaven. Give it all up. Some of you are sitting there like, hey, I brought my friend and they're new to this Jesus thing and this is a terrible sales pitch. <laughs> and I read these verses this week and I just felt, don't sugarcoat what Jesus said because he said it. And this is real. And I want you to have the passion. I wanna call you to more in your life to, to seek the things of heaven, but I will also let you know that there will be moments along the way when you go, whoa, this is costing me. This is not easy. This is the invitation of Jesus. And it will cost you, and in the end, you will be so glad it does, but it will sting along the way when you give up the things of this world. You have to put down the wants of this world for the glory of God, and that is hard. A beautiful and dangerous invitation to take all of the things you want, all of the things this world can offer, and bury them at the foot of the cross and get ready for resurrected life. That is the invitation for us. And it's better. 
That life is better. I can tell you as somebody who's been imperfectly seeking to walk in that for years, it is better, but better does not mean easy. But when you start to see the glory of God in your life, when you start to experience the things of heaven, you give up anything for it. Jesus says that, Matthew 13, 44, he says, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy, went and sold all he had and bought that field. He says, this kingdom life, the things of heaven, you will give up everything for them when you taste and see how good it is. That's why some of you keep coming back here and you don't know why. You're like, I don't like going to church. I don't like Christians. And I keep showing up at this church. You're not showing up here for a sermon or for a song. You're showing up here because you're experiencing the things of heaven because you're surrounded by a bunch of people that are seeking the glory of God before the, kingdom, the glory of themselves, seeking the kingdom of God before the kingdom of self, and your soul is what's pulling you here, longing for that kind of a life, for the kingdom life, for the things of heaven. So what do you want? I've been thinking about some people in the Bible. You read some of these stories of people who said, all right, God, all for your glory, I'll trade everything in inspiring stories and you read them and you're like, but I don't really want that to be my life. Like Moses, Moses didn't even really wanna get involved in the first place. Eventually he's leading the Israelites out of slavery and parts of the Red Sea with some cool moments. Then he's leading the Israelites in the desert for years and years and years and all these people do is complain and complain and complain. But the whole goal of the journey is to get to the promised land the land flowing with milk and honey where everything's finally gonna be great. We're gonna have these earthly lives that we've always dreamed of, a beautiful dream, and Moses dies before they get to go see it. He doesn't get to see the promised land. I read that story and I'm like, come on, God. Like, this is Moses we're talking about. Give the guy a break. Let him see the promised land. Moses never saw the promised land, but you know what he did see? The face of God. Moses stood on a mountain in his life and experienced God in a way that no other human being ever has. King David, a guy we talk about all the time, he gets anointed to be king, but then he's exiled and he's hunted, then he becomes king and he fights battles in his life. He has a lot, he has a lot taken from him. His own son leads a rebellion against him. And for all that he had and all that he didn't have and all the pain, all the life that he lived, this is the one thing David wanted, Psalm 27, 4. One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and seek him in his temple. David, what do you want? To see the glory of God. That's all I want. John the Baptist had the opposite life of the kings we read about. He had nothing. He lived out in the wild, in the wilderness, and ate bugs, preparing the way for Jesus, for the Messiah. And then Jesus shows up on the scene and the ministry starts and then John the Baptist gets arrested and killed. Seems so unfair. John the Baptist never saw the empty tomb. All of his hard work. He never saw the empty tomb, but you know what John the Baptist did see? The spirit of God descend on his cousin Jesus as he baptized him and sent him out into his ministry. And I think about these guys and I imagine getting to sit with them on the other side of all of this from an eternal perspective and just being like, was it worth it? This cost you guys a lot. And I just can't imagine any of them saying, yeah, you know, looking back, I would trade the experience I had of the glory of God in and through my life 
just to have had a more comfortable life with a little more money and a little fame and maybe even a Civico. I can't imagine that. I think about the, the man at the pool that we just saw depicted in that video earlier. I love what Peter says to this man at the end. He goes, everything changes now. This was not a rhetorical question from Jesus. He's saying, hey, do you wanna be healed? The unique question he's asking in this man's life, do you wanna be healed? If you say yes, you're not gonna be here anymore. You don't have an excuse anymore to play small. You will now know the kingdom life. You will see the glory of God in and through your life and it will change everything in a beautiful way but you'll never be the same. You sure you wanna sign up for this? And I don't know what the specific question for you is within what do you want? But I know, because I know who your dad is, that you are made for the things of heaven. A lot of people didn't want Jesus, right? I mean, they killed him. We tend to think we know what we want as human beings. They didn't want a Nazarene. They didn't want a poor carpenter turned rabbi. They didn't want a king who would deny power. The Prince of Peace didn't want it. And praise be to God that Jesus came to give us what we need. And the beautiful thing about him coming to give us what we need is that he was also coming to give us what we want down to the depths of our soul that we don't even know ourselves because he knows us better than us. To make available to us the things of heaven and as you take steps bold in your faith towards Jesus with surrender, joy, and experience the things of heaven, the things that you need and the things that you want, they start to intersect and become the same. So what do you want? I know I, know I wanna stop praying Sibico prayers. To stop settling for a Sibico when a Nintendo 64 is available. A few years ago, I had the chance to be at a baptism service in Northern India. And for the people that were getting baptized there, that decision, publicly proclaiming their faith in Jesus is a death sentence. Their families and friends will disown them. They will lose their rights as citizens. And I was standing next to a translator, listening to them explaining why they were getting baptized and person after person after person just said, I have experienced the love of a God that I did not know. And now that I've experienced it, I will trade everything for it. And everybody can know, no matter the cost to me. And we need some of that passion and fire on this side of the world so badly, because that's our roots. That's who we are as the church. If you ask us as a church, what do you want? We'll take cues from the early church. Peter and John, once they're leading the church, they get arrested for healing a man, for bringing the glory of God, the things of heaven here. These men are starting to feel the weight of the earthly costs for making eternal investments. They get arrested and they get told, stop talking about Jesus or we're gonna kill you. And they send them back out. And they go back to the church, to their crew, and they tell them, and this is what the church wants in this dark hour. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. The church doesn't ask for easy. It doesn't ask for comfortable. It doesn't ask for safe. It asks for boldness. 
Boldness to what? To preach the word of God, to show the love of Jesus to the world. Boldness not to go fight people, but to go love people, no matter the cost. So what do you want? I challenge you today, get in your face a little bit. And if I seem mad, what makes me mad is how much, how many of the things of heaven are being robbed from us because of the temptations of this world and an enemy who will do anything to get our eyes off of Jesus. And I challenge you today because I know that you're made for this. You are made for the kingdom life. You are made for more. You are made to experience the things of heaven, to choose the glory of God over the glory of yourself and see it come in and through your life. You're not made for easy and comfortable. I know that, and you know that. It's tempting, but deep down your soul is saying, this stuff, this, this world is not working. This is not it. Because you crave the kingdom life. You crave the things of heaven. Listen to this quote from C.S. Lewis. The Christian says, creatures are not born with desires unless satisfaction for those desires exists. A baby feels hunger, well, there's such a thing as food. A duckling wants to swim, well, there's such a thing as water. Men feel sexual desire, well, there, there is such a thing as sex. If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. And you were. You were made to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You were made for the kingdom of God. So what do you want? I challenge you to pray unique, specific, oddly specific prayers to God. When he asks you, what do you want? Those of you getting baptized next week are a picture of this boldness that we just read about. And you're probably already feeling the cost, probably questioning, should I go through with this? It may be costing you relationships. It may be costing you respect. You're probably feeling it costing you comfort, costing you autonomy in your life. But you're showing up here next Sunday because you've tasted and seen the goodness of the Lord and the things of heaven and you have decided this over everything, no matter the cost. And when we all walk out of here next week, this place will be shaken, just like it said in Acts chapter four. This place will be shaken because that's what happened when, happens when the Spirit of God moves, when the people of God cry out for the things of heaven and boldly proclaim, this is what we're here for. This is why we're here. And what I know is this world does not need more of itself. This world needs the followers of Jesus to want the things of heaven. And so if you'd stand to your feet, I wanna pray for you. I'm gonna read you a prayer that Jesus prayed. I think it's good to, to ask the question, what do I want? Well, what did Jesus want? What did he want for us? And if you zone out when people start to read scripture, I'll give you the spark notes ahead of time. What Jesus wants for you, what he wants for us, he wants a people of faith, unified with their heavenly Father and one another, who see the glory of God and bring the things of heaven to this world. So if you close your eyes and extend your hands, I wanna read this, this beautiful prayer from Jesus. The night he was arrested, he said, I pray also for those who will believe in me through the testimony of these disciples that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me 
that they may be one as we are one, I and them and you and me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world.